0: Hello, this is Taiwan Talk on ICRT. I'm Philip Broussard, standing in for Alex Lewis. Today, we speak with Adrian Galt, who is Chief Executive of the UK's Committee on Climate Change. And today, we spoke about the issue of climate change here in Taiwan and the world in general. In climate change science, there are many different areas. Um, Which would be your area of specialization?
1: By training, I'm an economist. And my area is very much around what are the costs of reducing emissions across the economy and trying to advise on where we can make the emission reductions at the lowest cost overall. So it's, a, it's not a sector-specific expertise, it's a general expertise across the economy. So within, within the Committee on Climate Change, which is the UK organisation that I head, um, we have scientific expertise. And the UK's targets for emission reduction are very much based on the science. The UK's contribution to keeping emissions within a level globally that keeps, emission, that keeps temperature rise to within 2 degrees centigrade compared to pre-industrial levels. But my specialism within all of this is the economic.
0: What recommendations would you have for Taiwan specifically to combat
1: climate change? Now, that is a global problem, and it needs a global solution. But Taiwan is a significant emitter... Um, And Taiwan ought to, therefore, to be a part of the solution. It ought to be looking at its contribution towards that, towards solving that that international problem. So I have to be careful here because, you know, my visit, this has just been a couple of days. I shouldn't claim too much for my knowledge of Taiwan and the economy and what's best that can be done. But I would say two things. First is there are lessons, I think, from UK experience where we've had a climate change act now in place since 2008 which requires emission reductions across the whole economy. Taiwan is moving in that direction. But one of the innovative things in the UK was the establishment of the Committee on Climate Change, which provides independent advice to government on how to achieve those emission reductions. Now, there's plenty of technical expertise in Taiwan. There are research institutes and others who've got expertise in particular areas. But the particular thing about the UK experience is this independent nature of this advice to government. And so I think it's worth considering whether in Taiwan there is, something, some institution or range of institutions that could play a similar kind of role from outside government on advising on the scope for emissions reduction across sector and monitoring that progress. The second thing I think I'd say is be ambitious uh, in terms of emission reduction. It's, It's easy to be cautious and think about the problems and the costs, but there are also opportunities here in line with the Paris Agreement where countries other than the US now are signing up to those emissions reductions over time. Um, we, can, we can expect to see growth in low-carbon markets going forward. UK experience suggests that there are areas for the UK where we've achieved much more than we thought was possible, for example, in bringing down the cost of offshore wind. There are likely to be similar potential opportunities for Taiwan if it gets on with some of this uh, deployment of low-carbon technologies. So Don't just wait and think that you're going to be a follow-on. There may be advantages in taking early action and and being part of the solution and also building a share in world markets. Would you have recommendations
2: for everyday people on how they could ease the load on the environment here in Taiwan?
1: For everyday people, for the man in the street, again, I need to be cautious about that for Taiwan. But... Most people would be interested in, or should be interested in energy efficiency and the levels of their demands and the demands those placed on resources and the demands those placed on the need for energy. There will be opportunities for energy demand reduction through switching towards more efficient lighting, through thinking about the efficiency of the appliances that people buy. So there are opportunities there which are not only good for bringing down emissions by buying the most efficient products, but also potentially a cost saving. So they can more than pay for themselves in the, in the reduction in the cost of energy used. So those are the kinds of things that you could expect that people would be interested in and have an opportunity to take action.
0: The local government here in Taiwan provides subsidies for local Taiwanese residents to move over to electric vehicles like the local Gogoro scooter. Um, this is obviously better for the environment, but there have been some reports lately that have said that electric vehicles are not as good for the environment because of the processes for producing batteries.
1: What would you have to say to this? Well, the committee that I work for, we did some analysis of this a a couple of years back where we looked at the lifetime carbon emissions and and impacts of batteries and electric vehicles. And we concluded that there were substantial advantages overall from that shift towards battery technology compared to conventional vehicles. Now, there will be... uh, the, The overall advantages are going to depend on what's the mix of fuels into the electricity generation. So clearly the cleaner that electricity generation, the bigger the advantage of switching from diesel or petrol towards electric vehicles. But there will generally be advantages from that move. And as the electricity system decarbonizes, as you move away from coal and gas for producing electricity towards more renewables, those advantages get bigger, not, not, not lesser.
0: What do you think is the most beneficial thing humans
2: could do for the environment in general, not just here in Taiwan? So again, my focus is
1: absolutely going to be on climate change. And I think that the, the biggest thing here in the short term will be switching away from coal. Moving away from coal towards use of gas in power sector and in industry, and then over time moving towards renewables. But moving out of coal, which is the most carbon intensive of fuels, that's the
2: biggest short-term gain that can be made. And do you think this is possible? And if you do, what sort of timeline do you foresee? It's very difficult. But it is absolutely
1: possible. It is possible to keep within the goals of the Paris Agreement in terms of worldwide action to keep within temperature rise of hopefully less than 2 degrees centigrade. It is very difficult. Actions need to start, well they have started, but emissions from worldwide need to peak very soon and then fall very rapidly if that goal is to be achieved. But there are scenarios that we can see where that is attainable. Currently, the pledges that the countries have made after Paris are not sufficient to meet that ambition. But there are mechanisms within the Paris Agreement that allow for those pledges to be increased over time. So it is still possible, it is difficult, but we should re- retain that ambition and try to, try to increase those pledges.
2: Now, what happens if the US does officially pull out in 2020?
1: Would it be a death blow? It, it would be unfortunate. It would not be a death blow. The U.S. is, I think, the second biggest emitter worldwide. China is bigger. So it's obviously significant. But there is plenty of action still happening within the U.S., There are many of the cities and the mayors who've pledged continued action. Many of the states have done the same. So I think something like half of the U.S. emissions are covered by those cities and states that have pledged that they're going to continue their efforts. So it is not a death blow. And you see from the reaction of other countries to the U.S. announcements, nobody's followed the U.S. lead. They've redoubled their efforts. So there's plenty of potential to still make progress without the U.S., Things will still happen in the U.S. that I think will continue to to make reductions in emissions. U.S. business knows that if it's not part of this, it will just slow down its share of these growing markets internationally. So I think there's plenty in U.S. business that want to be engaged. So, no, there's, there's opportunities to come back. So
2: would you say that green energy is not just a question about environmentalism, it's
1: also a business question? Yes, absolutely. There are opportunities here. There are going to be different opportunities for different countries, different areas, in terms of what their, where their advantages are. But through Paris, countries have signed up to making this progress internationally. And that, that we're going to see growing markets in low-carbon technologies as a result of that. Those Markets are already growing faster. I know in the UK, they're growing faster than overall GDP. So there are big opportunities here. Better to be a part of that solution now than think you can catch up later.
0: So with the switch to green energy, there's also obviously the worry about energy security. Do you think that once the switch is made, will people be able to maintain
2: the same lifestyle that they had before? All energy technologies have
1: their issues around energy energy security. Renewables have their issues as well. But if you're looking at gas or coal, there are issues about security of supply on international markets. Generally, that's been good, but there are issues there to consider. You still get plant outages from time to time. Nuclear has its own issues in that regard. Renewables have their issues, particularly when you're looking at sources like wind or solar, because of the intermittency. But there are ways of dealing with that through moving towards smarter technologies, smart grids, smart meters, time of day charging for electricity use to switch use of electricity through the day uh, away from the peaks. So those costs can be dealt with. What we're seeing, for example, in the UK, the offshore wind, which looked very uncompetitive a few years ago, Uh, It looked higher cost than gas generation. The costs of that have fallen by more than half just in the last few years. And in the most recent auctions that the UK had for offshore wind, the price that's been bid in by those companies producing offshore wind is £57 a terawatt hour, Now, that may not mean much to most people as a figure, but it's actually very almost competitive with conventional gas generation. And those costs are still falling. So although there may be a premium to pay for these technologies now, and in the short term, we can envisage that in quite a short period, these technologies are going to be cost effective. They're going to be better than the fossil fuel technologies. It's going to be lower cost in the longer term.
2: What would you say is the number one most promising energy source for the future?
1: That is going to differ depending on where you are. In the UK, PV, photovoltaics will have a role, but it's not going to be the biggest source. The UK, the sun available is not going to be the same as in southern Europe, for example, or or in parts of of Asia. But uh, for the UK, um, it will be offshore wind that looks increasingly like it's going to play a major role going forward in terms of the electricity mix. Are there any new
2: green energy technologies that the public perhaps doesn't
1: know about? Well, there are opportunities to look at things like energy from wave and tidal energy. Those potentially can be very big sources. The issue is about the costs and whether the costs can come down over time. But those are huge potential areas that are worth exploring in the same way that we in the UK have explored offshore wind and we have seen those cost reductions.
2: And are you basically optimistic or pessimistic about the future of green energy? I think
1: that you have to be optimistic. You have to recognise that we're not on course now in terms of the actions that are being taken. But there is, through the Paris Agreement, there's a system now in place that potentially will allow those actions to increase. We have to have emissions peak worldwide very soon and fall very rapidly. But I think there are means that you can see that that can happen. So I'm optimistic rather than taking a pessimistic view.
2: And do you have anything that you would like to say to the general public? I think you've
1: covered um, an awful lot of the ground, um, but I'd certainly want to just give an overall message of ambition. Um, th- this, is, this is really important. It's clearly something that has to be addressed by uh, all countries around the world. So any one country is not going to make the difference, but we have a collective endeavour that, that, that we all need to be a part of.
2: And that's this week's edition of Taiwan
0: Talk, where today we spoke with Adrian Galt, chief executive of the UK Committee on Climate Change, where he seemed cautiously optimistic about green energy for the future. I'm Philip Broussard. Thanks for listening.